You're listening to the Namely Marley Podcast, Episode 13, an interview with author and writing coach Kathy Yardley. Hey everyone, welcome to the Namely Marley Podcast. I'm Marley. This podcast is dedicated to living a creative, healthy, and passion-filled life. My goal is for you to say, Namely Marley is her namely me. Today I'm sharing my interview with Kathy Yardley, author of multiple fiction and nonfiction books, including my favorite, Write Every Day. Kathy has a lot of great advice for writers, and you know with this month being NaNoWriMo, I figured a discussion with Kathy would be perfect. If you're not familiar with NaNoWriMo, I'll leave a link in the show notes page so you can get all the details. But my Cliff Notes description is this. NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. How clever to create a word instead of an acronym for a change. Participants work to write 50,000 words on their novel by the end of the month. It's a lot, but it can definitely take your writing to the next level. Now, I know I mentioned during the last podcast that the next one would be on the topic of confidence. Don't worry, that's still coming, but I thought the interview with Kathy was so relevant and so timely that I wanted to bump it up on the priority list. But before we move on to that interview, first, let's talk about tips and tricks. I've been focusing a lot on iPhone apps lately, so today's favorite tip is something a little more desktop related. It's a software program called Scrivener. Scrivener is basically a word processing tool that you can use like Word or Pages, but there's a special bonus with Scrivener because it's designed with writers in mind. It has a lot of great tools to help you as a writer to add a a plot outline or tag certain topics or characters or even storyboard ideas. I've used it a lot and I've loved it. Now, if only it had a tool to write the ending of my novel, then I'd be in heaven. Oh well, I guess nothing's perfect. Anyway, check out Scrivener and I hope you'll love it. Okay, it's time for the interview with Kathy Yardley. I first learned about Kathy when I downloaded her book, Write Every Day, on audible.com. I listened to that over the summer as I did my morning workouts and then found myself listening to it over and over again throughout the day. I loved her book so much, I decided to reach out to see if we could do uh, an interview, and I'm so glad she agreed. Let's dive right into the feature segment. This is episode 13 of the Namely Marley podcast. Bring it on. Kathy, welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really pleased to have you because I recently read your book, Write Every Day. I read that on Audible, Audible, and I have a friend who basically says you haven't really read it when you've read it on audiobook, but I loved it. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Yeah. So when did you, I have it's, a lot of it's questions. It's one of my favorites. It's one of your favorite books? Of the nonfiction books that I've written, I yes. think I'm hoping it's one of the most helpful. I can see why. I can see why because it definitely. I felt like it had a lot of great tips for um, the everyday writer who who kind of you know you're constantly running into these little roadblocks along the way. It just seemed like it had a lot of things to help with that. And I have questions for you about that, but first I thought we could start with a little bit of background about you. I'd, I'd love to know more about you when. When did you first know that you wanted to be a writer? There's this great quote that says, if you want to find out if you're a writer, try being anything else. (laughs) And I tried to be a lot of other things before I finally settled down on being a writer. Because I come from a family of 
engineers and accountants and MBAs. And I never really fit in. And they all were like, well, writing is nice, but that's something you can do when you retire, you know, (laughs) after you've done what grownups do for a living. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really intent on that whole grown-up life. And I tried a lot of different jobs, but I always loved the writing. I always came back to it. Um, So once I started getting published, um, it became more and more of a viable option. I mean, I wrote my first seven novels while I was working a 40-hour-a-week day job. Seven novels? Wow, that's amazing. It's been nice. That's dedication. Well, I was a lot younger. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then it's passion. (laughs) That's a lot of passion. Yes. That's great. And, did uh, you know, I think it's sometimes like it's easy to look at someone who has who's a published writer and think that they either have this knack or, you know, um, a publisher just came and knocked on the door. Did it did it take a while for you to get your first book published? Um, it's funny. Um, I had been writing just for myself for years. I mean, since high school, really. And um when I got to college, um, I decided that I would be a publicist and a marketing person for, ah. for books. Yes. Um, so it could be, it, it's like the shadow career. Yes, I was thinking think that. actually pursue the career. Yes. Yeah. So that was my, my little foray. Um, so I joined this writing organization, the Romance Writers of America, it, with the thought that I would be getting clients and things like that. And it's a wonderful organization, just very, very supportive and um, just they're everywhere and they give a lot of great information. So I became part of the organization and we had a writing contest. We were short writers. So I turned in some things so we would have enough entries and I wound up winning in one of the categories, um, which was like, oh, I should probably do something with this. Um, And then once I started submitting, it was, I think it was under two years um, that I got my first contract. And it was a bit of a fluke. Just an author had fallen out of this series that they wanted. um, And the book that I had written would have fit nicely. So they were like, can you turn it in? (laughs) We'd like to see it by Friday. And then I had like a contract by the following Thursday or something crazy. So it was. It felt like it took a really long time, but it it actually um, once it did happen, it all happened quite fast. Yeah, and that's. It sounds to me like that quote that I've often heard that luck favors the prepared. You were there and you were ready. And you had you had your your ducks in a row, so to speak. That's true. I actually know of a lot of writers who, and I work with a lot of writers who will tell me, "Oh yeah, I had a request from an editor, but the book wasn't ready." Uh, and I'm like, when was this request? And they're like, oh, like two years ago. <laughs> oh, no, two years. Yeah. So they, they kind of let the pitch go by them just because, usually because of fear um, mm-hmm. or just this feeling, a lot of self-doubt. I, I run into that a lot. It's, it's preparation, but a lot of it's mental preparation too, not just the work. Yeah, I think that's a great segue to your book because Write Every Day seems to go into those kinds of things a lot, like the the fear 
that holds you back. I think that's kind of common. I, I honestly, Kathy, between you and me, I think that that's something that's common regardless of whether you're a writer or a CEO or whatever you're doing. Uh, fear can be a, a thing that holds you back a lot. I totally agree. And so your I book. I think it's harder for creatives. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Especially creatives who um, are self-directed, like a writer might be considered someone who's self-directed, I think, because um, I have found that when I'm working on someone else's timetable, I'm great. But when I have the blank sheet in front of me and I'm on my own, it's it's it, it takes a lot of discipline. <laughs> I can understand that, too. And that is the hardest thing. It's until you're under contract or until you've told someone else, I'm going to publish on this date, the lack of accountability and the lack of just other people knowing what you're up to, it allows you to kind of fool yourself um, and give in to the fear and let things slide. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's a great question because it, it caused me to think, you know, sometimes there's fear, but sometimes there's just I don't know, like self-perpetuated roadblocks, I guess, that's the way I look at it. Like, um, I have a hard time saying no. My friends will call and say, do you want to get get together? Or, or, you know, mom calls or all these things that happen. I'm curious, do you have feedback for people who, you know, they're struggling to write their book, but they just can't seem to find the time because of those kinds of things? I think that's a different kind of fear. Okay. It's not necessarily that you're afraid of the project or whatever you're trying to accomplish. It's, and that is another thing I see with a lot of my clients. When they ask me, I, I, they'll say, I don't have time to write or I can't find the time to write because I have all these things. And what they're really asking is, how can I find the time to write and not give up anything mm. and not anger anyone? Yes. And when you commit, writing or anything, other people are going to get upset. Not because they don't believe in you. Change scares people. Yes. So they'll either subtly or not so subtly start giving you, they'll either suddenly, they're calling all the time. <laughs> they haven't talked to you in months, but you're trying to finish your book and suddenly they're like, let's go have coffee. And it seems like it's out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to upset them. That's like a change. You want to incorporate into your life without anything else changing. And once you can kind of accept or be really honest and say, I would love to see you, but, you know, these pages aren't writing themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see if we can, can hook up after, after I've completed the manuscript. That's a really hard thing to say. Yeah. Um, because you're afraid that they're going to say, no, you're being selfish. I don't want to talk to you again. And it's rare that that actually happens. And if it does happen, this is, I feel like such a mom, but they're not your friends. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They should be more understanding. Yeah. But it does mean as a writer, you're negotiating not only your own fears, but you're negotiating the fears of the, the people around you as well. <laughs> well, that's, I think that you should always stay focused on negotiating your own fears. Because yeah. if you start to try to think and take into account other people's fears and concerns, right. I mean, if it's your family that, you know, you want to make that as reasonable a transition as possible. But I work with a lot of women, and I've noticed that 
it's the hardest for them to say, well, if I do this, that means I can't do all these other things for my family. And if they keep doing all these things for their family and never draw a boundary that says, my time is valuable and I need some time for me, both to take care of myself and to do this creative work that's so important to me. Yeah, I loved what you said in the book about how um, when you do that, when you take the time for the things that matter to you, it's like you're showing yourself that you that you matter. Exactly. That's powerful. Whether that's for writing or, you know, for cooking or for crafting or whatever, you, you know, whatever floats your boat. It's so important and it feeds so many of the other things that you do. I mean, I think that eventually all the people in your life will see how much brighter you are and it will make everything else better. It's just that transition that's hard. Exactly. And, I, you know, I also think it's a good example for the kids to see the, a strong mother or, you know, father, either one who's taking the time that they need for themselves and, and accomplishing this thing of writing this book that's in their mind. I, exactly. So I, I noticed that in your book, you also, you, you're, you seem to not be the back of the napkin author. You really believe in scheduling time and and not just grab stealing time when you can find it. Um, it's definitely, I'm, uh, how do I put this? <laughs> I'm a plotter. I am a systems person. So um, when I write, I want to know at least uh, an outline of where I'm going. Um, I think everyone starts out without outlines. That's just, you don't know any better and yeah. you have kind of a story idea and then you just ramble for like pages and pages and pages. <laughs> then it's finished. Then you stow it in a closet somewhere and we speak of it to no one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but after that, um, and especially if you've got an eye toward making an income, if you don't create a regular schedule, it's so easy to become this sort of endless round of revisions. And you do see people who are like, you know, year seven, I'm still working on this same book. And if it's giving them something, if they are getting personal fulfillment or they're looking at it therapeutically or they're just writing for their own enjoyment, I'm all for it. But if the same people are saying, but I don't know why I can't make a living, that's, it's like, you, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, Exactly. At that point, you have to look at it, not, you know, a job sounds so bad, but if you looked at it something like a, as a career where you're scheduling that time, that makes a difference. And since I've had my son, um, he's eight now, <sighs> I discovered that I just couldn't, I mean, I used to, when I was writing seven books with the job, it was easy. It's, you go to the job, you come home, <clears throat> have some dinner, and write. <clears throat> but once other people are in the picture... You, if you don't schedule that to a certain extent, you can pull it off, but it's very, very stressful. Yes. And that takes such an enormous amount of energy that it's, it's exhausting. After a while, it's not sustainable. You will hit the wall at some point. I guarantee it. Yes. And the wall is probably not conducive to creativity, huh? <laughs> it's not conducive to pretty much anything. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, I noticed that you also talked a lot about um, creating rituals for writing. I, and I really, I was actually at a writer's convention. I'm, I'm from Kansas City. And so there was a, I went to a convention here, it's a little workshop basically. And they suggested lighting candles as a way of saying, okay, okay, brain, it's time to be creative. That's a good one. And I think that rituals are like routines plus. Yes. And routines always sound so dry and yeah. you know, boring and clinical. And ritual has a whole other element to it. It's, you know, drawing on all the senses and has lots of symbolism. And it feels like something sacred. Um, and again, if you're trying to show yourself, yes, I value what I do. You know, I, I value this time. Making a ritual out of it only reinforces that, you know? Yes. I kind of look at it like I, I, my, my car is a manual stick shift, and it seems to me like it's the the neutral of the car. It's what allows it to shift into another gear. That's a good analogy. That I like that. So I thought it was kind of timely to be talking to you right now about um, writing just because next month or November is NaNoWriMo. It's the, have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I've done Nano. <laughs> Have you? Is it yes. called Nano for short? Yeah, it's a blast. Is it really? Now, I, I have a... Um I actually have never completed it. I've looked at it with great enthusiasm and I've started. And I'm curious if you have any tips for people who think I am going to do it this year. Well, I strongly recommend having that roadmap. Um, at the very least, the major plot points. Um, if you're really on top of it, having a full scene outline. But for some people, especially if they haven't been writing much, the idea of a scene outline just makes them break out into a cold sweat. Yeah. So, Plot points, at the least, just so you're not driving blind and going in circles. And are you That's, doing that with, you know, old-fashioned three-by-five cards, or do you do you do that with a, some kind of system? Um, at, actually, okay. <laughs> I do use I use post-it notes, ah. the big colored post-it notes, because yes. I usually split my books between at least two points of view. So I use different colors for each major character. And then I can just sort of look at my kitchen table and say, wow, I've got way too much of one color in one spot. <laughs> I need to break that up a little. Nice. And if I decide, you know, I think the sequence here is wrong, it's really easy to just pick up the post-it note and move it. So you're clearly not having any family dinners while you're, <laughs> while you're working on your book. <laughs> I, once my son goes to school, it's like the race is on. <laughs> yes. So I've got I've got five a good hours. block of time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> I, I got five hours and I've got to get 10,000 words or I don't know exactly how many your daily word goals are, but I'm sure you you know what that is. Um, it's When you do nano, it is it does help to say, okay, I've got, you know, I'm going to do this many words a day because you want to wind up with 50,000 words at the end. Um, yes. And that seems like a lot, but it's actually a, a short book, all things considered. Um, so 50,000 is a, theoretically a doable yeah. number. And you, you actually do consulting for writers as well, don't you? Yes, I do. Actually, I'm running a special right now for Nano. Um, really? Yes, because what I do, and it's the weirdest talent ever, <laughs> but when a writer talks to me about and schedules a plot session, we'll talk for an hour, I'll ask a lot of different questions, and then I'll start to make some suggestions. 
and we'll brainstorm. And by the end of the hour, the author has the goal, motivation, and conflict for their protagonist or two protagonists or whatever, and the major plot points for the book. And we, we always get it done in an hour. So. I think that's so nice. But you know, I, here's the way I look at this. If my daughter ever needed anything, you know, if she said she came home and said she's interested in soccer, she was the next week, you know, she was in a soccer league and soccer camp. And for a while, she went to play tennis. And so we found somebody to take tennis lessons. And I find as adults, we often think we just have to try to trudge through everything on our own. Writing, I think, especially is very individual. Although a lot of people, they'll take classes or they'll read reference books. I have not met a writer yet that hasn't had like a shelf full of reference books. Yes. Because that's the go-to. You get stuck and you think, I'll just buy another book. Right. <laughs> this one will, will tell me the gold, the thing I need. Um, yeah. But don't you think like, you know, if, you know, say for example, myself, I have this book I've been working on for a long time. And, you know, if you're stuck on a particular thing like I cannot figure out the ending <laughs> it seems like you know at, at a certain point when you've been stalled for a certain amount of period having someone that you could call in and be a coach would be a helpful thing I think so um, and I love doing it it's a lot of fun I have several clients that I've worked with for several years in the early stages a lot of it is teaching where they're right. learning the fundamentals and figuring out where their story might not be working and how story structure works so right. they won't fall into those same pitfalls. As they go on to future novels, um, I always love it when one of my clients will say, oh, I was writing this and then I thought, but what's the GMC? I'm like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> so by that point, it really is more of a, like a check-in, um, the accountability and sort of moving on to, I guess, upper division, where yes. they're learning more of the tricks. They know the basics. They're just looking to bring their craft up and to continue. Because the other thing, and this touches back on fear, first book is usually this exploration, and there's no pressure. You know, it's yeah. just you. Sell the first book, and that sophomore panic sets in. Because oh, people right. are paying attention to you now. Yes. It, it's before if you failed, nobody really knew about it. Now, suddenly you're thinking, what if I can't do it? Right. What if the first one was a fluke? And it's like they forget all their basics temporarily. Yes. Or they lose complete perspective. I call it getting a crazy check. Because <laughs> at some point in everybody's book, and this still happens to me, and I've published 17 of them in the middle you're going to be convinced that it's the worst crap you've ever written in your entire life <laughs> and, and no one should ever look at it and you should go like be a dairy farmer in Vermont or something <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's insanity you can set your watch by right it's got nothing to do with the work at all it's just your subconscious panicking and trying to stop you just to protect you and that's where a lot of people will stop, right? I mean, that, and then and it, you just have to keep pushing through. The best thing, I think, is to get someone that you trust to read it and have mm -hmm. them not give you any feedback. Just say, you're not crazy. <laughs> this is fine. 
that's really all you need. You can, if the harder you push, it's like pushing against a pull door. It's not going to help. You've got to hand it to someone you trust. I love that. It's like pushing against a pull door. That's a really good line. It's not going to open the door. Yep. Oh, that's really good. And in fact, that kind of reminds me of the, you have another section in Write Every Day about your energy, knowing your energy. And so I'm vegan, and I have found that the number one thing that impacts my energy is the food that I eat. Or, And I noticed that you said that you're kind of a foodie, too. I didn't know if you have any, any what are your favorite energy tips? Um, at this point, um, it's funny. <laughs> my son was diagnosed with ADD. Oh. And when I found out about it, I was very intent. <laughs> and I did all this research, and I was like, well, that's not so bad. I do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I got diagnosed, too, and diet does help quite a bit. Mm. So it's more protein in the mornings, always making sure that – I can tell a difference in my son when he's hungry, if he gets home from school. If he doesn't have like a healthy snack right off the bat, in about half an hour, kind of all hell breaks loose. Oh, my. Um, just because he's, he's whiny and upset and it doesn't seem connected to anything. Right. And I can only imagine what I've done when hungry, but since I'm inside with this perspective, I don't know. I'm sure my husband probably has stories. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> don't but I have noticed that if I cut my sugar down, if I focus on eating stuff that's healthy but a little indulgent, um, it hits kind of, it satisfies my body because it's like, yay, healthy, and it satisfies my emotions, which are like, you know, yay, comfort food. Yes. But I, I have noticed you're right. I think if it's a little bit more indulgent, you also uh, eat less of it. Yes, as long as you're mindful. Yes. That is the other trick because I've definitely been like the comfort eater, not mindful. And it's like two hours have gone by and I've been on Pinterest the whole time, you know, and <laughs> well, a bag of cookies is gone. <laughs> and that's, I have to say, that's another thing I really loved about your book. And, and it just made me, you know... I, I do meditation, although I do a very short. I have found this program called um, Headspace, where you do these 10-minute meditations, which is about all I can take. And, um, you know, you hear people talk about being mindful. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I really ever quite got it until I read your book, because you, you talk about it's okay to watch TV show. It's okay to spend, you know, if you want to watch, spend an hour watching cat videos. That's your choice, as long as you're making the conscious choice to do so. It makes a huge difference. Um, I had another person that I was working with who I was like, are you setting aside time to rest? And she had been sick or something and she was, she felt guilty while being sick. She's like, I didn't get as much done this week. All I've been able to do is like, you know, eat soup and read. <sighs> and, and I'm so sorry I can't make page count. And I was just like, one, Never apologize for needing to take care of yourself. Right. And two, tell yourself pages aren't happening today. The next two hours is going to be soup and reading and that's it. Right. Because if you don't, it's like when you're trying to recharge your phone but you're using it at the same time, it doesn't recharge. <laughs> yes, you gotta sometimes you gotta turn the phone off and sometimes you gotta give your goals a, a week off, you know, a week off as well. 
Well, and it, you need to say, I'm in this time, all I'm doing is relaxing. And it's really hard. <laughs> I'm pretty type A, so it took a long time to get to that. But it's like you need to approach replenishment with the same intensity that you do everything else. No, oh, that's great. And, you know, I think, um, I don't know if you know uh, Julia Cameron. The, yeah. She talks about filling the well, and I think that's so important to take that, you know, how can you create if the well is empty? Exactly. Yeah. So what what is a, I'm just curious, like if you're working with the first-time author, um, there's so many published authors out there. I mean, is it, I mean, I wonder if there are times where it's just like, you know, is it worth it to continue on with this pursuit? Absolutely. Um, it sort of depends on what your goal is, yes. strangely enough. Um, if you're looking to become the next, you know, huge mega blockbuster, that's probably going to end badly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not to say that you couldn't, but that pursuit and that focus tends to be really exhausting. Um, mm. And it's the sort of thing, because it tends to be built on some kind of insecurity. Yeah. It, it, there's that old movie, Cool Runnings. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The Jamaican Bob yes. uh-huh. And John Candy's got this line where he says, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. Wow, what a great line. And I think that's the same way. If you can approach being an author or being any kind of creative profession with the sense, I think you absolutely can pursue it as a business. And that is a lot of what I teach because I think that you can have a creative lifestyle and still make a living. But it does mean changing your perception of what business is and um, what creativity is and how to kind of, I always use the analogy of like an artisan farmer. Um, he doesn't think he's an artist. He's not like, oh, I don't feel like thinking of the tomatoes today. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not like a business where he's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice and, you know, I'm going to take, you know, genetically modified stuff so they'll be hardier and so I can compete with Walmart and they can travel 8,000 miles or whatever. They're still small and they're still taking care of it, but the farm's the farm. Right. You deal with the market and you deal with, okay, you know, whether you like it or not, everybody's getting watered today. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the task at hand. You just, you know, plot forward. And I will say this, even if you don't sell a novel, just the act of writing one, I have found out more about myself every time I complete one totally unintentionally it always tells me what I need to know huh. things that you maybe didn't realize about yourself well like I always I wrote about workaholics for about five books before I quit my job <laughs> <laughs> it's like my poor subconscious was like we're doing everything but painting a sign <laughs> so you mean your protagonists were all workaholics yes <laughs> <laughs> that is a good sign <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> well, you know, that actually answers the question I have too. Like, I've been asking people this question a lot. Like, what is authenticity? Because it seems another thing that I, you know, hear about, not only about living in the moment or, you know, consciously choosing things, but also 
this topic of authenticity. So maybe it's not something that you just know or you don't know. It's kind of like a constant revealing. I think so. I think that it's not like you're ever just one thing. Yeah. You're always changing a bit. The trick is to just stay connected um, and not just run on autopilot and hope that everything sort of works out. That's beautiful. That's like a way of saying, like, you don't have to write the book as a way of becoming this mega published author. It's really more of a process of, you know, getting to know yourself better and a fulfillment for achieving a goal. I think so. And yeah. I also think that so many people kind of separate, you know, oh, that's work and it's soul sucking, yes. <laughs> you know, and it's just something I have to kind of grit my teeth and bear, you know, yes. it's like the necessary evil. And then there's creativity, which is wonderful and glorious and authentic, and I'm never going to make money on it, but that's okay because money's kind of evil. It's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> there's, it's a spectrum. It's not black and white. Right. I think that you can pursue a creative career. Um, you just need to look at it as this is a career and it's creative. Yes. And it's really hard for some people to, to grasp that, to get that frame um, because they've been so entrenched in the other way, in the extremist kind of black and white way for so long. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, okay, so I just have two last questions for you. I And I always ask this question just because I have this thing, I, I love names, so I'm just curious about um, either one of two things, either your name, if your name has had any meaning to you in your life, or any reflections on how you pick names for your characters. Hmm. Um, hmm. I know that was a little out of left field, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, I've certainly never been asked it before. So that's interesting. <laughs> that's, maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my characters' names tend to be a bit of a mystery, although I'll be halfway through a book and think, okay, that name is actually wrong for this character. Really? <laughs> um, just because a lot of names just have a lot of connotations that are personal, but um, it's sort of like if you have a character – um, who it's kind of like when you name your kids <laughs> and then you start to get into those like I was like I'd like to name my son Brendan and my husband was like no I knew a Brendan in high school and you know yes totally beat me up <laughs> 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 really random things but they collect all these these baggage, baggage. so if I wrote a a character and she was named Isabella and then I find out later she's like a hired assassin and I'll think, you know, <laughs> I always see Isabella as this and yes. hired assassin is not one. So <laughs> I will change her name. Or the irony of an assassin named Isabella could be kind yeah, of cool too. That's true. It it really, it'll depend yes. on the story. But yeah, names do have a, a really, they have a lot of power. Yes. And, and I think sometimes they can reflect certain periods of time, too, if a name was, you know, more common in a certain time frame. Or... Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so then one final question. So tell me, what inspires you? What inspires me? To write stories or just in general? In general. 
great design and mm. system inspire me, <laughs> which sounds nuts. But no. Give me some exa- give me an example. Um, like the concept of permaculture. Are you familiar with that? You know, I think I've heard about that. Is that the ground cover? It kind of. It's the idea that a system in nature is set up in a certain way. Like when the leaves fall on your tree, you're not supposed to rake up the leaves because the leaves are going to die and then they're going to protect the tree's roots and then they're going to nurture the new plants that come right. up. And all the things that grow around the tree where you think, oh, that looks like a weed, they're actually there. Some of them are there to give something to the tree. Some of them are there to take something from the tree. But all of it kind of works together. Right. And when you put things that work together next to each other, they all work so much better. That's beautiful, and yeah. In life, there are so many things that could work that way, and they're trying to apply it to like businesses, and they're trying to apply it to time management, and they're trying to apply it to a lot of different things. And being a working mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, that's what I look for constantly. I look for things that are going to value stack. And you know, if I do this with my son, like we both walk the dogs in the morning, um, so my little eight-year-old and I tried to do a mile before he goes to school, nice. partially because the dogs need the exercise, partially because we need the exercise, and part of it is to wear him down enough that he's tired enough to pay attention. Ah. Otherwise, he would be just bouncing off the walls. So in that one hour, we're accomplishing three things, and we get to spend time together and play. Yeah. I look for things like that, things that work together and that make everything else better, like exponentially better, because they happen together. Yeah, I think I get that same feeling when I'm in the kitchen, and I'm working on, you know, I I have three or four dishes going at the same time. To me, it feels great when I can think of a process that it all comes together at the same time. Exactly. It sounds challenging at times, but there's something about I really enjoy that. I don't know. I enjoy the challenge of it, I guess. Some people like crossword puzzles. Yes. <laughs> Some people like Sudoku. And this is this is my Sudoku. Yeah, that sounds it sounds great. Well, Kathy, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. It's been a, a real uh, pleasure and, and definitely an inspiration on my part to be able to have this opportunity. Well, I had a great time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks to Kathy Yardley for talking with me today. If you'd like to learn more about Kathy, you can find her on Twitter at, at Kathy Yardley, that's Kathy with a C, or at rockyourplot.com. Or go to namelymarley.com forward slash podcast, where you'll see the show notes page for Kathy Yardley. I have all the links to Kathy's sites there. Do you have something to share about writing? Maybe some ways you've learned to make writing part of your everyday life. If so, please share it on the show notes page too. If you like today's show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and give a review on iTunes. This helps our podcast get discovered by more people. I hope this episode was helpful and inspirational for you. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Mm-hmm.